Our theme for Lent, this 40-day period between now and Easter, we're going to have a sermon series on the theme, Letting Go and Letting God. What does it mean to let go of the things that hold us in bondage, that hold us back from being everything God wants us to be? We're going to look at things like worry, like grudges, like guilt and shame and blame. We're going to be looking at fear, things that hold us back. How do we let go of these things and let God control our lives instead of thinking erroneously that we are in control of our lives? We hope you'll join us this whole Lenten season. It's going to be a great sermon series. Our topic today is worry, and I'm telling you the truth. This passage in the Sermon on the Mount, these words of Jesus are distilled wisdom. They give us the antidote to worry. If you will hear and heed these words, we'll have a different life. Listen for the word of God. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we are a people who worry about so many things. We pray today, O God, that we might learn the key to letting go of worry, to find the antidote to worry, so we might be set free to live life as you meant it to be lived. To that end, bless and anoint this message, and we know you will, for we pray with anticipation in the strong name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 2.05 a.m. The clock said 2.05 a.m., and Anita still couldn't fall asleep. At 11 o'clock, she had put her book down, turned out the light, tried to go to sleep, tossing and turning, tossing and turning for three hours until it was 2.05 a.m. Worry had become a way of life for Anita during Tony's prolonged illness. But now, two weeks after Tony's death, she was still worrying worrying about whether to have a memorial service during this time of COVID or, or do you wait till after COVID is over? And worrying about writing thank you notes. I mean, so many people were so wonderful to Anita and to Tony and they, they brought meals over and they brought books over and articles that they thought Tony would like to read. And it was all so wonderful. But, but now that Tony had died, Anita had to write all these thank you notes and she wondered, I'm worried that I don't have the strength to write the thank you notes. And The thing that worried her right in the pit of her stomach was who am I without Tony? Who am I without the love of my life? The man I've loved for 55 years, who am I without Tony? She's worried that that what would become of her that she couldn't live without Tony. Have you ever been awake at 2.05 in the morning, not able to sleep, worry upon worry, they start piling up? Unless I miss my guess, there's somebody worshiping with us this morning who is worried about an illness, maybe a diagnosis, a test result in your family or in your own life. Unless I miss my guess, there's a high school senior tuning in today who maybe is worried about college acceptances and what's going to happen on April the 15th when the final colleges you've applied to will let you know the result, whether you got in or not, and you get that email 
unless I miss my guess, there's somebody worried about staff changes in your office and you've maybe got to rearrange the office a little bit. And if you've ever had to let somebody go in your office, it's one of the hardest things to do in all of life. And unless I miss my guess, there's somebody who's so close to closing a deal. And if you could just close this business deal, it could really make your year 2021 great, but, but you're not at all sure you're going to be able to close the deal. And unless I miss my guess, There's somebody here this morning who's worried about getting on that vaccine list. You've been trying to figure out ways to move up and use your influence to move up, but but you can't move up. And, And frankly, there's many people in our world today, we've been reading about them, who don't want to get the vaccine. They're worried about the vaccine and and not sure they're going to be safe getting it. To be really honest with you, this week, my wife, Suzanne, and I have been worried about our son, Ryan, his wife, Holly, and our two of our seven grandchildren who live in Houston, Texas. And yes, they've been victimized by the ice and snow. And yes, they lost power. They had to boil water. To keep warm, they often would bundle up and go in the car and start the car and charge up their phones and get warm and then come in and try to fall asleep under a down comforter. But it has been really rough. And the worst part of all is all four of them were diagnosed last week with COVID. They're doing a little better now, but Ryan's been the the worst one. But he tried to go to the doctor the other day and they called the emergency room at the hospital and were told that it was a nine hour wait to get in to see a doctor in the emergency room. So Ryan's going to postpone that maybe till this coming week. But we've been worried about our family. What are you worried about? Don't we all know, make no mistake about it, that worry takes an impact on your health. The American Medical Association says that worry can actually put stress hormones into your arteries and veins. And these stress hormones can sometimes cause heart attacks or strokes or cancer or some other illness. Is anybody here a worrier? You kind of like to be in control and and you worry about how you can kind of control everything. I've got a really good friend, one of my best friends on the East Coast, but he's a worrier. If he goes into a meeting, he worries about what he said in the meeting. And then on the way home, he worries about what he didn't say in the meeting and what he should have said. And he worries a lot about what other people think about him. I've often quoted Henrietta Mears, the Christian education director at Hollywood Presbyterian to him when Mears said, we wouldn't worry nearly so much about what other people think about us if we realize how infrequently they do. I love that. Are you a worrier? Anybody here a worrier about something? But my friend from the East Coast called me the other day and said, Tom, I don't want you to worry about me anymore. I've given up worry for Lent. Now, how do you give up worry for Lent? How do you let go of worry? What is the antidote to worry? The truth is that in the scripture today, Jesus gives us the antidote to worry. He says, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, a right relationship with God. And everything else in your life will fall into its proper place if you seek God first. Said another way, The antidote to worry is worry. Now, let me explain. The word for worry in Greek is a Greek word, merimnen, and it literally means to choke or to strangle someone. What Jesus is worrying, what Jesus is teaching his followers to say is, do not worry about 
things that you have no control over. Do not be so obsessive and compulsive about worrying about something, trying to control things. Rather, seek God's will for you first. And if you seek God's will first, then you will learn what to do today so that you can be prepared for tomorrow. Be very clear. When Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, he is not saying, don't prepare for tomorrow. He's not saying that. He's not saying, wait till the last minute to get things done. He's not saying, procrastinate. He's saying, if you strive for God first, then God gives you the perspective of what to do yesterday, what to do today, what to do tomorrow. God gives you the perspective and God's greater agenda absorbs our smaller agenda. Instead of holding tight and worrying about our agenda, we let our agenda go to God's greater agenda. The antidote to worry about our agenda is to get on God's greater agenda because God's got something greater for you and me than we could ever imagine in our lives. You know, Henrietta Mears is really a great example of this. There's a delightful story about her when she was 12 years old. Henrietta Mears, without question, was one of the most influential Christians of the 20th century. It's a big statement, but it's true. And I would venture to say that many of the people who are listening to this worship service today and worshiping with us have either been impacted directly by Henrietta Mears or indirectly by Henrietta Mears. She had an incredible influence on so many people. But when Henrietta Mears was 12 years old, before she became Christian Ed Director at Hollywood Presbyterian, she was 12 years old. She went to a birthday party and she was a worrier. She wanted to be in control. Anybody here like me like to be in control sometimes? Well, anyway, Henrietta Mears wanted to be in control. She was a worrier. So when she came home from the party, her mom said, Henrietta, how was the birthday party? Henrietta Mears said, it was absolutely awful. The party favors they gave us, mom, were juvenile. The games we played were childish. The cake just had no taste to it. They put too much flour in the cake, not enough sugar in it. And, and actually, the guest list was terrible. They didn't invite the right people to the party. It was a complete waste of time. You talk about a worrier, and you talk about a control person. Well, Henrietta Mears was that kind of person, but then her mother asked her a question that changed her life. And here was the question. And what did you do to make the party better, Henrietta? And as soon as her mother said that, Henrietta realized she'd been worrying about petty little things like how the cake tasted, the party favors, the guest list, and she needed to have a bigger focus on what could she do to make the party better. And from that time on in junior high and high school and college and beyond, Henrietta Mears always thought, how could I make every situation I go into better? She taught school after she got out of college and was a chemistry major. She taught chemistry in high school, and she thought, how could I make the class better? Then she became a principal of the school and thought, how could I make the whole school better? Then she taught ed Christian education at her church in Minnesota. She thought, how could I make the Sunday school better? How could I put the school back into Sunday school and make it more rigorous so kids will learn more about Jesus? And all of her life, she thought, how can I make that party better? How can I make the neighborhood better? How can I make the church better? How can I make the school better? And Henrietta Mears wanted to make everything around her much better, always making it better and better better and better. And one day, she started the Sunday school at Hollywood Presbyterian Church in 1928. 
She started a new Sunday school movement there. The preacher at Hollywood Presbyterian had come to Minnesota and seen the Sunday school that Henrietta Mears was operating. It invited her to come to Hollywood. She fell in love with that church and she became their Christian education director and she was there for 35 years. In the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, 6,500 children, teenagers, college students, and adults went to the education program at Hollywood Presbyterian Church. Some of you know that church. It was the largest church in America and the largest Sunday school in America. Some say the largest Sunday school in the world for a time. She loved college students particularly. Do you know she led over 400 college students to go into full-time Christian service as missionaries in foreign countries, as evangelists, and as pastors and education directors. She impacted a whole generation or two of clergy. But here's what's so interesting about Henrietta Mears. To everybody who met with her, she would say, always be thinking about what you can do to make a situation better. So a young man came to her college class in the early 1930s. Now remember, America had just gotten out of the Depression. It was the early 1930s. People were very poor. But this young college student had a vision for leading high school kids to know Jesus Christ. He was worried that some high school kids would get turned off by the traditional church and the youth group. So he wanted to start a movement to help high school kids who were turned off by the church. And when she prayed with him, Henrietta Mears said, and oh God, help Jim to have a bigger vision for this ministry of high school kids than he ever thought possible. Well, Jim Rayburn came back to her some years later and said, Henrietta, it was your prayer and your influence, frankly, that got me to go beyond one youth group to start another at another high school and another high school and another. And out of that, the Young Life program started. Jim Rayburn was the founder of Young Life Incorporated, where hundreds of thousands of people, maybe some of us have come to know Jesus Christ through Young Life. Well, she know, you know the story probably. Henrietta impacted a young man who wanted to influence college students. And that young man, she had a prayer with him that Bill would go on and influence many people on college campuses, not just one campus, but God would give Bill a bigger vision. And Bill Bright started Campus Crusade for Christ. See what came out of when her mother asked the question, and what could you do, Henrietta, to make the party better? She got away from her petty little anxieties and worries about the party and the guest list and the cake. And she got a bigger agenda. What could she do to make the party better? What could she do to make the neighborhood better, the church better? And one of her greatest things of all was in 1948, she invited a young man to preach at Forest Home. She had founded Forest Home Conference Center, Henrietta Mears did. The woman was amazing. But she prayed with this young man. And at the end of the prayer, she said, and God, help this man to get a bigger vision of what it would mean for him to be a world evangelist. And this young man said, whoa, Henrietta, I wasn't planning for that. But later on, Billy Graham, that young man, said that other than his mother and his wife, no other person impacted him any more than Henrietta Mears. She gave him a bigger vision. Do you see what I mean? The antidote for worry about our little agendas is to worry about God's bigger agenda. The antidote for worry about little things is to get involved in the big things, God's bigger picture for what God's got in store for us. I see this in an organization that has meant so much to me called Alcoholics Anonymous. I've had many friends 
who've gone to Alcoholics Anonymous and had their life saved by it. But the principle is this very same principle. If you read the big book, The 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, or go to Alcoholics Anonymous, or, or go to talk to people who are alcoholics, they will tell you the best thing an alcoholic can do to stay sober one day at a time is to help somebody else to be sober one day at a time. Every AA member, every recovering alcoholic, they never call themselves recovered alcoholics, but every recovering alcoholic always has a sponsor who can help them stay sober. But by helping somebody else stay sober, you stay sober yourself. There's a wonderful, magnificent passage in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5. God helps us in our troubles so we can help others in their troubles using the same help we've received from God. Don't you see it's in the areas of our life where we have something unique to offer somebody else. Like if we're an alcoholic, we can help somebody else out of our suffering. If we've been through a divorce, we can help somebody else going through a divorce out of what we're learned. If we have cancer, we can help another cancer survivor. It's all often in the areas where we have struggled that we have the best thing to offer someone else. It's the same principle. We're, the antidote to worry about little things is to worry about somebody else. Get beyond your own worries to the bigger worries of God. And God's got a greater purpose for you and for that suffering than you might have ever imagined. I saw this at Fifth Avenue Church in New York City after 9-11. You, many of you know I was pastor there during the 9-11 time. And it was a crisis. And it was a, the city was in turmoil. And people from all over the nation actually came to Fifth Avenue over the next few months and years and worshiped. And we had a, a magnificent ministry during that time. But some of our elders came to me one day a few months after 9-11 and said, Tom, this has got to be so hard for you. Our sanctuary seated 1,800 people. We had an average of 2,500 on a Sunday morning. So we had to start additional worship services. And, and we had to invite additional Bible studies and different education classes and new prayer groups. And two of the elders came and said, Tom, this has got to be so hard for you and the staff. And how are you making it? I mean, I mean, we really feel for you. It's got to be tough. And I said, you know, the, the tragedy of the World Trade Center, the, this terrorist attack was, was awful. But I've got to tell you, I've never had such a wonderful time in my ministry. It's, it's been the most enjoyable, fulfilling time of my whole ministry because I went to seminary to talk to people about God. And now to have worship services packed and have to have new services and have Bible studies that are packed and people wanting to learn how to pray and talk to God. Well, I mean, it's the most meaningful thing in my life. And I said, you know, can I tell you another joy I've had in this time? And they said, sure, what is it? I said, well, to be honest with you, I've never had anybody since 9-11 come to me and say, Tom, did you realize there were two, bullet, two errors in the bulletin this morning? Nobody's come and said that. No choir members ever come and said, hey, Tom, are you aware that, that nobody's asked me to do a solo for a couple of months? Nobody has asked that. We got off our petty little things we often worry about and lose sleep over, and we've got a bigger picture of how to introduce the city of New York to God. We've got something bigger we're worried about, we're concerned about, we're so pouring our energy into that, that all the petty little worries about errors in the bulletin or, or not getting a solo, all that diminishes. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and a right relationship with God, and all these lesser things will find their proper perspective. Is there anybody here who needs to let go of worry, to just let go of it? 
Joseph Scriven in the 19th century in Ireland needed to let go of worry, and he had a lot to worry about. Joe was a deeply committed Christian, and he found a young woman that he fell in love with, and they were getting married. They dated for a couple of years, and at the age of 23, they were engaged to be married. They were going to be married the next day, and the day before their wedding, the young woman who was Joseph Scriven's fiance drowned in a lake. Well, he was bereft, obviously, and out of his sorrow, he worried about his own situation, but God gave him something bigger, and he began to think about ministering to other people who were in grief, and he found he was good at it, and he, he went into the ministry and ministered for many years, preaching and teaching and tutoring, and particularly having a caring presence for those who were grieving. I hate to say it, but at the age of 39, he met another woman and was engaged to be married to her, and she contracted pneumonia, and she died. And then his mother, when she was of of older age, she was very ill, and she wrote to Joe, who by this time was in Canada, not Ireland, and said, Joseph, I'm dying. Can you give me any help? You've got such a great faith in Jesus. And Joseph wrote to his mother a little poem, and he wrote the poem, and someone translated it later into a hymn. It's become one of the greatest hymns in the history of the church. But when you hear me say this prayer that he wrote to his mother, this poem, this poetry, you'll realize that it helped Joseph Scriven get in deep touch with God. It's a hymn you all know. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs, and he knew grief, to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. When Joseph Scriven's fiancés died, be very sure God's was the first heart to break. But God helped Joseph Scriven get out of his worry about that devastation and gave him something else to think about, a greater purpose, ministering to other people. And this is the principle of the antidote to worry is worry. To seek first God's kingdom and see what is God's greater purpose for us? How can we make the party better? How can we make the neighborhood better, the class better? How can we make life better for other people? That is the key and the antidote to worry. So I close with this challenge for all of us during the Lenten season. I'm going to ask you to join me for the next 40 days. If you start tomorrow on February the 22nd, Monday, and if you end on Saturday, April 3rd, that'll be 40 days. And that's the day before Easter. So between now and Easter for the next 40 days, I'd like you every day to join me in this prayer posture. And the prayer posture for me is open hands. I found myself praying so hard with my fists clenched that that I was telling God what I wanted, but God was saying to me, Tool, I couldn't give you what you want, even if if I wanted to give it to you, because your hands aren't open to receive it. So God pried open my hands, and I've now opened my hands to God And God's taken many things out of my hands that are blocking me from being who God wants me to be, like worry, like grudges, like guilt, like blame, like fear. And in their place, God has put trust. I tell you the truth, since I've prayed this way, 
And I'm, I'm a private person. I don't like to have displays of religious obedience, raising my hands and so forth. It's just not me. But I like this because I can just at my side sometime, if I'm in the car or in bed at night or in a chair, nobody even has to see me do it. I can just put my hands in my lap or just put my hands out like this. And I'm saying to God, God, take things out of my hands, whatever's blocking me from you, and put in trust I want to tell you, I've never felt so close to God as when I've prayed this way. And God has put into my hands in this retirement chapter of my life some of the greatest privilege of working with young preachers. And I'm able to mentor young people that I never dreamed I would have the privilege of mentoring and being involved with. But God's done this because I've opened my hands to God and God's given me a greater purpose and a greater thing to do beyond my own petty concerns. Are you willing to try it? Just start it tomorrow, one day, then maybe two and three. Maybe you'll make 40 days. I'm going to do it every day. I do it every day of my life. But I'll tell you, if you'll join me in this prayer practice, this prayer posture, God might take not only worry out of your hands, but God might also take grudges and blame and all the things we're preaching about in this sermon series. But if you do it, you know what else will happen? We will discover what it means to follow Jesus Christ every day. And you know what? We might also find that at 2.05 a.m., instead of tossing and turning and worrying, we will be asleep. Amen.